How's everybody doing this morning? Okay, now just some background. I was a children's pastor for 13 years. That kind of good will not cover me. How are you guys doing this morning? There we go, so much better. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to John chapter 4. Um, we're going to dive in in just a little bit uh, today um, in um, a bunch of stories, actually, and that'll be the first one. But I'm, I'm super excited to be here with you guys. Um, as you heard, I am the pastor at Celebration Church, which is not even two miles away from you guys. Just if you go down to 86th and make a left, we were the big yellow building, now we're the big blue building. But um, I've been there since February of last year, um, not that much longer than Ryan has actually been here. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. But before we even dive into that, um, I got a few comments on my shirt today. And um, I, I like to wear fun shirts, but this is the most USA shirt that I own. And I know that we just had um, a National Day, Veterans Day. And so I wanted to take a moment before we dive in. Um, I know that I don't know very many of you. I met a few of you at church for VBS and things, but I wanted to take a minute just to say if there's anyone in here who has served, you have a family member who served, you're related to someone, you're in connection with someone who has served, thank you so much for what you've done, what you've sacrificed. I know that... um, and especially even spouses of those who have served, uh, sometimes people don't even recognize the sacrifice that they make as well. So we, I, I love our country, and I'm very thankful that we get to be here today because of those who have given everything for us to do so. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all the veterans and the families of veterans here. So it's my pleasure to be here with you today, um, serving with all of you. This, this relationship actually started, it was fun hearing the whole Zyger outreach. We actually started our relationship last year at Thanksgiving with, with Zyger outreach. Pastor Ryan and I, we got some of our church resources together, and I think uh, we, we bought some turkeys, you guys bought some groceries, and we were able to work together to reach families in our community. And it was a lot of fun to get to know Ryan um, a little bit starting last year. Um, I'm a firm believer I'm a firm believer that the church down the street is not our biggest competition. The church down the street is our biggest ally. And I I love that he and I have got to partner together, that our churches have got to come together a few times. And Ryan and I talk about the future a lot and and how we want to see our churches continue to grow together. And what's the best way that the two of us can make the biggest impact in our community? And, And I love this relationship. Now, like I said, he and I connected not too long after he moved up here and I moved up here as well. Um, Found out that he and I both moved up from California. I was uh, born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Go Niners, get it out of the way. Okay, that's that's me. But um, it's been a lot of fun getting to know him. And we actually found out that we met before. Before he came here, we met each other in our college days. So over 15 years ago, and when he, we started hanging out and talking about California this and California that, it was, it was a lot of fun connecting, and there was a part of me that was always like, I feel like I know this guy from, from somewhere, and not just our kinship for Bay Area sports. Like, there's, there's something else. And then in VBS, when we were doing stuff together, I realized I haven't even friended him on Facebook yet. So I went on Facebook, added him, and I was like, you know all my college friends. This is odd. So then, I, then he, the next day at VBS, he came up to me and goes, how do you know all my college friends? Now, how do you know all my college friends? Turns out we were both a part of a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And we were at different colleges, but our groups had done things together over many times. And when we put that connection together, I actually said, wait, you stayed at my house for a weekend in college <laughs> over 15 years ago. And it was, it was just kind of in passing. You know, one of my roommates was close with him and said, hey, this is Ryan. He's going to be staying here this weekend. And I was on my way out. But then all of a sudden, I was just like, oh my gosh, how crazy is it? that over 15 years ago, we met a couple times, and now we're pastoring just around the corner from each other. 
It, it is one of, those, one of those God moments, and it's just allowed us to continue to grow in our relationship and friendship with each other. Um, so some quick info on me so you guys can get to know me a little bit as I dive in today. I said, born and raised in California. I've been in Washington since February of last year. I met my wife in college. She's actually joining us back there. I have two, uh, if I make her stand, she'll, I'll be sleeping on the couch. But I have two daughters. I have Aurora, who is 10. She's going on 17. But she'll be turning 11 this month. And I have another daughter, Avery, who just turned six. And Aurora is my rule follower. Um, you know, you say this is what we're going to do. She, she knows it. And she has been the girl that went to bed on time and the, the calm kid. And it's total extrovert, but just... She's been the one that nature tricked us into thinking we should have a second kid. And then, then we have Avery, and Avery is the firecracker in the house. She's six years old, she is going to be a comedian, and she knows it. There, there's many times where she'll do something, we're like, okay, consequences have to happen now. And then she says something else, and we have to look away because we're laughing. But, um, but it's, I, I love my, my kids. I'm a girl dad. I love being a girl dad. I'm no, no uh, stranger to dress up, nail painting, and princess tea parties. But, but I absolutely love that God's given me the two most amazing girls. In California, I was a children's pastor for 13 years. And then for the last four years of that, I also was the associate pastor at uh, Creekside Church where I was serving. And then for the last two years of that, I was also the youth pastor. So at one point, I was children's youth and associate, and I loved it. I absolutely loved doing what I got to do. Moving up to Washington has been an incredible adventure we absolutely love it here. Um, we, we find that Washington is uh, more beautiful than California. We had this, this hill. It's funny saying this in church. It was Mount Diablo, and it was right next to our house. But after seeing Mount Rainier, it was more like the mound of Diablo. And we absolutely love here. People are friendly. It's, it's beautiful. And moving up here, my whole family is from California. I'm number seven of 15 kids. Yeah, 15 kids. And they are all but one, and one is in Montana, all in the Bay Area in California. So moving up here, we said, was probably the, the hardest thing we've ever done, but the easiest decision we've ever made. When God put it on our hearts to come up to a pastor church in Puyallup, which we could not pronounce for the longest time, it was easy to see how God was working in our hearts. So, so today, as Ryan asked me to share, I, I thought I'd share with you guys something God had put on my heart, and I want to talk with you about taking a journey with Jesus. Now, we'll be coming up on a brand new year here. Can you believe we're almost in 2023? I feel like this year has just flown. It's like when COVID hit, everything stopped, and now everything I feel like is moving. It's just so fast for me. I look back at everything we've done this year and all the things that have happened, and it's crazy to think that 2023 is just around the corner. When someone said, hey, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up, and we need Christmas lists, it's like I can't believe we're already in this season because time moves so fast. But with, with a new year comes New Year's resolutions. Now, honesty check, all right? We're in church, be honest. How many of you have kept a New Year's resolution from the beginning of this year all the way to this point? Like two of you, yeah, right? We, how, okay, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Three of you, four of you, okay, a few of you. Now, I'm, I'm big on New Year's resolutions. I, I love making a fresh start and setting a goal for the year. And, and I did a really, really good with my resolutions this year. But sometimes we make them. It can be a daunting task. Setting a goal and saying, this is where I'm starting. This is where I want to go. 
And then sometimes you keep it for the whole year. Sometimes you know people that say, all right, new, January 1st, I'm starting something new. And then January 2nd, it's over. I blew it, right? New Year's resolution, done. You just don't have disappointment the rest of the year. You get it over with on the first day. But you have to have your establishing point where you start and then where you're going to go. And it's good to make goals that do that for us. For me this year, there was a big point where I decided I was going to focus on my health. And throughout the course of this year, I did a weight loss challenge and I dropped 40 pounds and it was, I was so happy with what I'd done. I gained a little bit back, but you know, I'm still down ultimately, which is great. But, but I set a goal and I, I, I stuck with it. There were some hits. Now there were also some misses with my new year's resolutions, things that I, I said I was going to do, but then kind of faltered on a little bit, but ultimately I had a direction that I was going to go. Now we already made our new year's resolution for next year. My family were like, here's, it's, it's a fun one. It's not like this big life-changing thing. But since moving to Washington, we have realized Puyallup loves teriyaki restaurants. This is not a thing in California. We have decided in 2023 in Puyallup, we are going to hit them all. And we're going to make a blog or a YouTube channel. We are going to rate teriyaki restaurants. And we are going to have so much fun doing it. We have to start saving money now. But that's a fun goal. On top of that, we have serious goals. Now, a lot of us set some incredible goals, but we can, so, we can get so fixated on where we want to go, I think we can forget to ask one simple question. What do I need to do to get there? You have something in mind, but how do you get from here to there? And even saying that, I think there's a question we have to ask before we even get to that one. It doesn't matter where we want to go if we don't know where we are to start. Doesn't matter where you want to go if you don't know where you are to start. Have you ever looked on a website for directions? And kids these days will never understand MapQuest printed directions. And drive the driver, you're, you're, you know, the driver resetting the odometer after every turn, 0.6 miles. Okay. And then the, the, the coordinator saying, all right, turn right, turn right. You missed it. Where do we go now? I don't know. Try and find a way to get back to that area. But if you look up directions, sometimes it'll say, if facing north, turn this way and go blah, blah, or if you're facing south, and that really messes me up because I'm like, I don't know what way is north and south off the top of my head. I can't go outside and just look. I'm not Crocodile Dundee. I can't do it. Where's north? Where's south? But if you were to give someone directions to get here and you told them, you said, hey, here's what you need to do. Leave your driveway, turn right. When you get to the basketball court, make another right. You'll see a sign that says Brookfield Farms, turn right again. When you, get to the, when you get to 86, you can turn left. You'll see a big church called Celebration Church. Pass that one. Turn right on 128th. Go up another couple blocks, and you'll find Elim. If you told anyone those directions, I don't know who would make it here. I would. I would. That, that's from my house to get here. But if you gave anyone else those directions, they probably would. I mean, who knows where they'd end up, right? Someone else's driveway. I'm here for church. the abandoned warehouse where you shouldn't be. Who knows? But if you gave someone else those directions, they would not end up where you wanted them to go. You have to give them the starting point first. I think in our walk with Jesus, a lot of times we, we we can miss that point that we need to know where, if we want to know where we're going, we have to know where we're starting. Where are you now? Identify your reality. We won't know how to get from here to there if we don't. See, directions are not just about the destination, Directions are about your starting point. Directions really are about your starting point. And as we speak this morning about from here to there, it's going to be uh, looking at a journey or walking with God, whether it's a new one, um, your current one, or, or maybe you're here today and you say, I don't even have one. 
That's okay, because we're going to look at a starting point. And we're going to look through four different stories in Scripture, and we're going to see how in these starting points, Jesus met with people. Jesus met with people, and he gave them directions on what they needed to do and where they needed to go. We'll see when people meet Jesus, he never tells them to stay put. He never meets someone and says, all right, you're good, I'm on my way, you just keep doing what you're doing. He always gives them something to do. He gives them a challenge, a direction to go. Sometimes it's easier than others, but it's always life-altering, and we'll see that in these stories. Steps are given, and lives are changed. So first, if you open up to to John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 6. Now, um, I'm going to read a lot this morning, I'm going to go through four stories. I'm going to read them in their entirety so you understand the context, and I'll, I'll unpack them a little bit as we go. But the first one is John chapter 4, a very common story, Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman, starting in verse 6. Now, he says this, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to keep, I won't have to keep thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So that's, that's our first story. Now, If you'd like, go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to jump into another one here. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now, this one is uh, some context. Jesus had just been crucified. The, the, The tomb is now found empty, and people are freaking out. State of panic. This is the road to Emmaus. It says this. Now, a day came that two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed those things with each other, Jesus came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas said, are are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and creed before God and all the people. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. They said to him, how, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned once to Jerusalem where they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what has happened along the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Everyone remembers everything that I've said so far, right? Got it? All right. We're going to do a couple more. A couple more. John chapter 21, starting in verse 3. John 21, 3. And you'll see the common theme here of people and their stories and how Jesus is coming to meet these people. So John 21, starting in verse 3, we're going to meet up with Peter here. And Peter says this. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they went. We'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. We're going to skip over to verse 15. So picking up on verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, my Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus said the third time to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to kind of indicate the kind of death which Peter would have to glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And then our last passage this morning if you turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. One verse. One verse that I love because there's so much here. And Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's, sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. That was a lot of reading. A lot of reading, lots of passages. But I love these stories because these are all, I think, beautiful stories of people having a genuine encounter with Jesus in a moment of their life that was very pivotal for them where they had to define what was going to happen next. And that's what I want this message to be about. 
I want people, I want, it, I want us to understand in a way that we can encounter Jesus in a way that can change our lives. And in turn, we go and have, help people encounter Jesus and can change lives that way as well. I want this year more than ever for us to, to feel like this is a year and this next coming year that we can pursue Jesus wholeheartedly because we know where he wants us to go. We see a direction he's given us and we can share that with people and help them also identify where they are and where they can go. But I would love to hear their side of the story with, with all these stories that we read. For the woman at the well. I mean, Jesus was almost harsh with this woman, wasn't he? She gets to the well and Jesus says, you know, give me a drink. And she's like, you know, I want to hear more about this water you're talking about. And through the conversation, Jesus says flat out, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. And he's like, you're right. You've had five. And the guy that you're playing house with now is not your husband. I mean, it's almost the mic drop moment. Like, boom, sinner. Harsh, right? It can also be seen as harsh the way Jesus approaches her. And, and it's a truth bomb. But the thing is, Jesus has to reveal, I think, this truth to us, even in our lives today, before we get to see the goodness that follows. You see, the, the gospel, ultimately, it's bad news before it's good news. The gospel's bad news before it's good news because no one likes being told they're a sinner. No one likes being pointed out their faults and saying, hey, this is where you've messed up. This is what you've done wrong. But it's only those of us, when, when, we, when we realize this is what we've done wrong, that we get to then taste the sweetness that is grace the sweetness that is the love of God, then we really fully experience this is the good news. It was bad news without Jesus, and then Jesus comes, and we, see, we, we get to confront the bad, and we get to live and experience and live in the good. Jesus brings the harsh reality to this woman. He brings it face to face. For this woman, she knew she needed what Jesus was offering. She recognized her sin, her need of saving, and she recognizes that Jesus, what he was speaking is true. But I love that she didn't go to the well looking for Jesus. Jesus was at the well waiting for her. Jesus was right there waiting for her. He found her at a well, hiding in her fear of sin, hiding from the others in town, seeking peace. Some context of this story. She went to the well at a time where she knew she would be alone. She was ashamed of what she was doing. She was an outcast amongst outcasts, and that's where Jesus found her. She was hiding, but Jesus said, you can't hide from me. And she was seeking something else, but Jesus sought her where she was. When Jesus finds her, he doesn't ignore her past. He doesn't even ignore her present. He talks about the past. He talks about where she is now, confronts her on it, challenges her on it. And then he offers her something incredible. He offers her this living water. He offers her what he has, and she ultimately chooses to accept it, but not before dealing with what she's doing and her reality right then and there. She leaves a changed woman sharing with everybody what she's just experienced and telling people they have to meet Jesus. They have to go see him. She brings others to that encounter because she wants them to experience the peace that she has just had with Jesus. Now, for, for the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, he found them on the path leaving Jerusalem. Now, we know where they were headed, but why were they headed there? The, the, script, the passage doesn't exactly say why they were going there, but we can, we can deduce and understand what they were doing on this road. They weren't of the main 12, but they had been in the room, they said, when Mary and the other woman came rushing in to say the tomb was empty. They were there. They experienced this news after Jesus' resurrection. Now, I think these two guys, because of where they were going, they were having a huge struggle with their faith. They, they, they couldn't wrap around in, in their heads what had really happened, and there was fear, and there, there was uncertainty that, that engulfed them, and so they quite literally said, we are on the road out. We are leaving this place. We're not going back. They'd been following Jesus for a while, but this hadn't really transformed them. They, they had a lot of head knowledge, but it, but it hadn't moved into their heart. 
You see, they were, the fact that they were in the room when the woman came in saying that, that the tomb was empty, they say this, some of us went with those also in the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they said, some of us went. But they stayed in the room. They didn't go to the tomb. They stayed back. And I think they were really struggling with what this meant for them. They could look back at their journey and say, hey, for, for the past few years, we've had a lot of fun. We, we, we've, we've seen Jesus do things. We've seen all these miracles. But the thing is, I think they, they had a lot of head knowledge, but they hadn't transferred it down into their heart. And it wasn't until they had this encounter with Jesus that some truths were revealed and their lives were really changed. It was at this point on the road, I think, that they, they believed they realized where they are and Jesus showed them where they needed to go. They understood how to get there because when Jesus met them, like I said, they were on the road out. But Jesus didn't say, come back to Jerusalem and see me. Come, come back and see what's going to happen. He met them on the road in their fear as they were leaving. These guys knew a lot of the answers in their heads, but their hearts they had to struggle with. It didn't matter to Jesus. He said, I will meet you where you are. On the road, as you're running, I'm going to meet with you. And when he does, what happens? When they realize it's Jesus, they turn around and they go back. He told them, you're going somewhere that you don't need to go. I'm going to meet you where you are. This is your here. I'm going to want you to go there. And because of that, they go. We've got Peter on the boat. Peter on the boat after the crucifixion, right? Jesus had been resurrected. Peter has seen the empty tomb firsthand. He was there. Unfortunately, he was outran by the disciple whom Jesus loved. That verse, I love that verse. Can you imagine him writing that? Hey, look what I'm writing down. I beat you on the race, right? So he's second to the tomb. It's a little over a week now. Jesus had been seen by people now. Jesus is revealing himself that he is back. But what is Peter doing? It's probably haunting him what he had just done. He had denied Jesus, right? Peter wants nothing to do with this at the moment. He has gone back. He is hiding. He's away. He's probably thinking Jesus is right. I denied him three times, just like he said. I said I wouldn't do it. And Jesus, he was right again. I denied him and he's hiding. Based on what, what we read in, in the previous chapter of John, it almost feels like Peter has been thrilled, of course, that Jesus is alive, but he's, he's avoiding the conversation. Who wants to go talk to someone who's going to say, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, I was right. He's avoiding this. And not just for the, I told you so, Mom, but I can't imagine the guilt and shame that he's feeling. Like, this was, this was my Lord. I declared him the Son of God. I also denied him. He's avoiding this confrontation. Imagine the failure going through his heart and his head right now. He said he would do anything for Jesus. He even told Jesus he was wrong. He wouldn't deny him, and he did. But there he is on the shore, and when Jesus reveals himself to him, what does he do? He jumps off. He is so excited to go see Jesus. I can imagine he probably wished he had the ability to walk on water again right there, but he doesn't. He sinks, but he swims to shore. He goes and he has this beautiful encounter with Jesus. Jesus came to Peter while he was wallowing in his sadness, feeling like a failure with no use in God's plans. He had returned to his old life. He had said, I can't do this. I'm going to go back to fishing. Jesus doesn't say, hey, well, when you, when you want to get things right, come meet with me. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to him. He says, I'm going to meet you as you are hiding. I'm going to meet you in your sorrow. I will meet you there. And let's talk. And then he point blank asks Peter, do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? The fish, the nets, the boats. Do you love me more than these things? Peter says, yes. And then Jesus tells him, then feed my sheep. 
he gets a new direction on where to go. Jesus meets him here and tells him, we're going to go there. You are going to go there. And finally, we have Matthew. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. One short verse with so much in it. Now, I have to do a scaled-back version of the story for, for time, but, but maybe there'll be another day where, where I get to come back and we can really unpack everything happening here because there's so much with Matthew. The, the short version, Matthew's real name is Levi. Now, that name was only given to people who were being trained to be Levitical priests. Now, I, I think, do you guys have Awanas here? Or you had Awanas here at some point? Now, 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 now imagine um, growing up as a kid and going to Awanas all the time doing really, really good. You're memorizing everything, going, going to children's ministry every week. Like this, this is your life. You're, you're, you're dedicated your life to understanding the scripture and learning the scripture and knowing the scripture. This was a Levitical priest and this was Matthew's original name. Now, this is what he was supposed to do. Now, every day, you probably, if, if you did this every day for the rest of your life, you probably still would not know the scriptures as well as a Levitical priest did back in the day. This was not just something they did on top of their vocation. This was their vocation. We will know scripture. This is Matthew's identity. This is what he was destined for. But where does Jesus find him? At a tax collector's booth. A tax collector's booth. So what do we know about tax collectors back then? Tax collectors are considered to be the worst of the worst. We still call the IRS the worst of the worst today sometimes, right? Tax collectors are the worst of the worst people, and there's a reason they were so hated, and I don't say that word lightly. They were hated by these people. Why were they hated? Because they were literally, they were basically buying from Rome the right to steal from their neighbors. Uh, Imagine this. Imagine imagine the USA gets invaded by by a a foreign group, and we get taken over. So just imagine this. I know, great times, right? But this group comes in and they decide, all right, we are going to take all the Christians, gather them all up. We now have all the Christians in one area. We are going to execute one third of you. Just off the top, one third executed. After that, they take another third and they crucify them, painting the roads with crucifixions of the second third. So now you have one third left and they say, we dare you to rise against us. That's what Rome did when they came in. Now, a tax collector would be one of those final one-third, so we have a one-third left saying, hey, I'm going to go work for these guys so I can save myself, and it's going to involve me stealing and cheating you guys, but I'm going to do this because this is what I have to do to live. Sorry, I'm going to steal from you, and that's, that's what my life will be. That's a tax collector. So it's easy to see, given all this context, why people hated the tax collectors. They were betraying their own people after the oppressive group came in, and they were stealing from these people to make their own living and save themselves. Where does Jesus find Matthew? In the tax collector's booth. Jesus finds Matthew sitting at his table that literally represents he had given up on the life intended for him, that he'd rather please himself than please God. That booth was the epitome of I have abandoned who I was called to be. I've abandoned what I was supposed to be, and I'm doing something else. And Jesus walks up to him, and all he says is, follow me. And in that instant, Matthew does. Goes back to the calling that God had put on his, his life when he was such a young child. With all these stories, I, I think there, there are a few things in these stories that, that are true for these people that I think are true for, for many of us today. I think the first one is this. We don't always find God, but God always finds us. We may not always find God. God always finds us. And it's often at a time and a place that is really, really, really convenient, right? 
No, no, not at all. It's never convenient when God challenges something. It's never like, I have my life tied up in this bow and Jesus came in and fit right into that bow and yay. It's never like that. When Jesus comes in, it changes things. It rocks things. It's, it's hard, but it's always good. I know personally that when God found me, it totally changed what I thought I was going to do with my life. Now, when I was younger, I grew up in the church. Um, the church that I actually worked at um, as one of the pastors, my grandpa was the lead pastor there for many, many years. And then my dad was the youth pastor. And um, Pastor Terry had been there now, uh, not my grandpa, but after my grandpa retired, a man named Pastor Terry came in. He was there for 30 years, but I was there all the time. And I loved that church. I went to that church. I worked at that church. I, I grew up there, but I didn't know I was going to do that forever. When God found me, I did not think I was going to be in church. My passion was baseball. I loved baseball. And I know that there's people that say, I'd have gone pro if I tried, and they wouldn't, but I would have. I would have been that guy. I, I, I loved playing baseball. I played through uh, middle school and, and some, a little bit into high school, but even before that, elementary. I was, I was playing, and I made some all-star teams. I was the man at baseball, and I had sights to go to college for baseball and, and play for the San Francisco Giants one day, but not the Yankees. No, not the Yankees. But I was going to play, and it was going to be awesome. That was my life. And still, like I said, went to church every Sunday. Like I said, grandpa was a pastor, dad was a youth pastor. Church was a big part of my life. But one day, I was at a church camp. And I don't know if you guys have a church camp or things for kids, but I, I'm a huge advocate for, for camp. I loved camp. And I was the kid that knew all the verses. I knew the, the Sunday school stories, but my focus was on my career in sports. One day we were at camp and God met me and it was very inconvenient. The setting was right. It was away from home, away from technology, out in the wilderness at a campground called Camp Koinonia in Santa Cruz in California. And we still have campers at that church that go there to this day and it's a wonderful place. But it was one day during worship at camp that God gave me this haymaker that felt like Tyson was swinging at me because in that moment, God met me where I was. God met me in this moment and he rocked me told me that he had a future for me, but I needed to identify where was I? I was focused on me. I was focused on sports. I had a lot of head knowledge, but God said, hey, sports are not your future. You're going to be in ministry. At that point, I didn't know what I was going to do in ministry, but God really told me, you are going to be in ministry. Baseball is not for you. The church is. He had to move the head knowledge to my heart, and he wanted me to be a pastor to people. This is not even close to sports. Standing up here talking has nothing to do with what I learned in baseball. It was very inconvenient. It was a total change. When God came to me, I wasn't even looking for answers, but I was open to hearing. I wasn't closed off. I wasn't pushing him away. I was receptive. And when he met me and defined where my here was and showed me where he wanted me to go to get from here to there, it changed everything all for the better. <clears throat> It would be nice, right, if we could put our lives in order and then encounter God. But that's the thing. We don't get to put our lives in order. He puts our lives in order. He gives us that path. He gives us the direction. He's the one that says, this is what I've orchestrated for you, and it's so much better than what you have orchestrated for you. He's in charge. He knows what's best. Another one of my favorite verses, a popular one, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Now, notice how it doesn't say, trust in the Lord God with all your heart, and you will make your path straight. Trust in God with all your heart, and you will then be able to go do these things. It says, he will do it for you. 
In all your ways acknowledge him, he makes your path straight. We have to be willing to do what he says when he visits us. We have to be willing to listen. We have to be in that place where we say, this may be inconvenient, this is where I am, but I want to hear what you have. I want to see what you have. And when we open that up, our road ends up becoming his road. And it's always a much better place. When he finds us, it's an opportune time. In order to go from here to there, we have to understand God never wants us to stay here. He never meets you where you are and says, just stay here. He'll define where here is, inconvenient, but it's always with an opportunity to move there. For some people, it's a physical move. It's, I mean, for, for us, a couple years ago, we had no idea we were going to leave California. In, in my perfect world, again, that world that I had it was just insert Jesus, I was going to take over Creekside in California. That was my plan. Pastor Terry is going to retire soon. I'm going to, I'm going to take over. And then I got an email from a church in Pulalalap. I couldn't pronounce it, right? But I get this email, and all these things start falling into place. And I had this moment where I was like, all right, God, you just rocked my world with this email from this place that I can't even pronounce. What am I supposed to do? And God opened up so many doors to say, your plan was this, but I'm going to move you here. I'm going to take you here. And it was such, it has been such an amazing time for me and my family. The two men on the road to Emmaus, they explained to Jesus where their here was. They said, here we are. Have you not heard what just happened? Jesus just died. We thought he was going to like revolution. We're overthrowing Rome, right? This is our here. They defined it to them. And Jesus met them in their here. And he revealed himself to them and they got to go there. Peter took the opportunity to where his here was on the boat. The opportunity for him to say, this is where I am. And Jesus said, I'm going to meet you where you are. And now you're going to go there. And you're going to do amazing things. Our journey always starts with that. Define your here. Where are you today? Where is your walk with Jesus now? Where is your life right now? Define where you're at. Because if we want to know where we're going to be, know that you're here, your starting point. Jesus is there. He is there and he will direct you to where he wants us to go. Secondly, God doesn't find us unusable, but we can choose to be unuseful. God doesn't find us unusable, but we can choose to be unuseful. Jesus never told Peter he was a failure. He never went to Peter and pointed that finger and said, this is what you've done. This is how you denied me. This is what you have done wrong. I can't believe it. You were the man and now you're dirt. Jesus doesn't say that to him. Jesus goes to him and reaffirms who he is. Jesus says there is a use for Peter. Peter was looking at the fact that he denied Jesus three times. He wasn't there at the cross like John was when Jesus was crucified. We see him hiding. We see him retreating to his old life because of his failure. That's Peter's here. He's letting his failure define him and keep him from doing what God called him to do. What I want us to know today, what I want all of us to understand, no matter what we've done in our past, no matter what what life has done to get us to, to our defined here, wherever you're at, nothing is ever keeping you from being used by God other than ourself. The only one keeping us from being used by God is us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. We have, we have such the ability uh, as humans to hold on to our past and totally let it define what we're going to do next to say, oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, I can't do, oh, I can't do this. And if, if that were the case, I would not be qualified to be a pastor. 
I, I think if we let our past define us and our past justify what we can and can't do when it comes to ministry, I don't think any of us would have a ministry. We, we'd all be at that point where we say, I can't, I'm not worthy, I've messed up too much. I just can't do it except for my wife. She's never messed up, she's perfect. But we would all be gone. We would be unable to be used. We would you know, close the doors, we're done, hang up the towel, just live life, ministry is out. That's where we see Peter. He's, he's done those things. He said, hang it up, going back to fishing. I cannot do this. I am done. And in his lowest moment, Jesus goes there and literally rocks his boat. Says this, look at what I can do with you still. I can still give you more fish than you can catch on your own. I can still make you the rock the church is coming on. I can still make you the one who is going to lead people to the truth. In the midst of his failures, Peter realizes there his failures don't define him. In, his failures don't define him. Who he is in Christ, that defines him. Your failures don't define you. My failures don't define me. Our failures don't define us. Jesus defines us. Jesus loves us. Jesus has amazing things for every one of us. That defines us. Peter's able to realize he is only unusable in that moment because he thought he was unusable. Jesus literally says otherwise. Never think God can't use you. Never look at your reality and say, my reality is too big for God. My reality is unusable by God. God has the ability through scripture, so many places, takes the most destructive thing and turns it into a masterpiece of his glory. If you can do that with stories in the Bible, there's literally a story of a king in a Bible who was sacrificing his own children and he comes to know God and God redeems him. If God can do that for a man that was in that place, what can he do with us? What can he do with us? Lastly today, we all have a story. We all have a story. Um, I know that when, when it came to giving a testimony, the very first time I was putting together my testimony, um, I was going on a missions trip in Mexico, and, and I was thinking, I don't have a good testimony. My testimony really stinks. I was born in the church. My grandpa's a pastor. My dad's a pastor. I never rebelled. I got great grades. Love baseball, I love Jesus, and now I'm going to be a pastor. That's lame. I hear other people tell their stories, and they're just like, you know, I, I was just those drugs and this and that. Look what God did with me. I'm like, you have a story. Mine is boring. I gave my story in Mexico. And when I gave my, my testimony, again, me still thinking as I delivered it, this is going to be a really lame story. I had a family come up to me in tears. And I was just getting to talk with them. I was like, you know, what's... What, what's, what's wrong? Or not what's wrong, but what's, what's happening? And they said, your story has affirmed in us that if we try our best, there is so much hope for our kids to not go through the things we went through. And my story hit someone. It was at that moment for me, I was like, my story is awesome. Yeah, I've got a good one. We all have a story. Every story that we have is crafted. Every story we have has the ability to turn someone's life to Jesus because we get to show what Jesus has done through us in our story. The story of Peter in the boat and following the conversation, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. This story has been given encouragement to Christians for over 2,000 years. And it's probably preached weekly somewhere in some church. And yet, this was an afterthought, especially in, in the book of John. It was at the end of the story of Jesus that this story then comes in. The woman at the well, 
She didn't go back into town ashamed of what had haunted her for years. She ran back into town saying, everybody come quick. She wasn't ashamed of her story anymore. She wanted everyone to know her. She wanted everyone to see this is what you guys have been shaming me of. This is what I was ashamed of, but look what he just did to me. Her story then got to change people's lives for Jesus. Matthew adds his story in such a fitting chapter that makes it clear how Jesus saves sinners, and I think it punctuates the point that no one is too far gone. And when Jesus meets you there, or here, he'll take you somewhere. You all have a story, every single one of us. It's easy to feel ashamed. It's easy to feel embarrassed or insignificant, but know that your story is your story, and God will use your story. God will use it in amazing ways. I once heard it say that, said this, God saves us all from a pit of black tar. Some of us he saves after we've fallen in and gotten covered, and other, others of us he saves before falling in in the first place. But here's the key. Both end up saved by God. Do you know where God found you? Has God found you? My prayer for each of us here today is that we would know where we are so that we know where God wants us to go. And you don't have to know the answer right away. This is going to be something that you, you spend some time on. To find, you know, not everyone can look at, this is my life, everything. You may need to do some digging. Like, this is, this is really what I'm struggling with. This is the sin that I'm, I'm having a hard time letting go of. This is, this is my reality, but I think that's a great starting point for everyone. Define your reality. It's going to be, don't, don't compare your reality to the people around you. Define your reality. Where are you? And watch how God can work in you where you are and tell you where he wants to take you. At some point, though, it's going to take brutal honesty. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't say, here's my reality with some Christmas sugar cookies and everything. But be real. Be honest. Don't lie to God. It's not going to work. <laughs> he knows where you're at. Talk to him about it and see what he can do with you. I like to invite the worship team up as we come to a, a close today. And I have some questions for all of us to, to think about this morning and how we can apply this, this to our lives. For some of us, maybe as I read those, those four stories, maybe some of you identified with the woman at the well. You say, you know what? This is where I am. I've never experienced the peace that only God can offer. There's so much in my life that I'm ashamed of. I'm, I'm hiding from the world. I'm hiding from people. I don't want them to see me. Or maybe they do see you and you, you know people are just upset with you and, and you're embarrassed. Maybe you're like that woman and you just need Jesus to meet you where you are to say, your story's not embarrassing. Your story is one where you're going to get to tell people how redeemed you are, how much I can do with you. Maybe you're like the disciples on, on the path. You've been coming to church for a while, but you're at a point in your life right now where you're like, man, God, this is, this is so hard and I'm so scared. I'm just, I got to do my own thing. I'm, I'm going to just put you on the back burner and walk away for a minute. Maybe that's you right now. And maybe you're in need of that peace that only God can give you. That peace because God is meeting you on that path saying, hey, let's turn around. Let's turn around and walk with me this way. Maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you feel like you failed God so greatly that you can't be used. Your life is just full of disappointments and missteps. You say, you know what, God, I, I can't do this. I'm not worthy of it. Maybe you're in that moment where you say, I'm hiding, literally avoiding the conversation. But all you have to do is look and see Jesus right there saying, come here. Come here, let's go. Your story is not too, you're not too broken, and I do love you, and I will use you. Or maybe you're like Matthew. Maybe you're living for yourself. You've decided, I've walked totally away. I'm going to live for me right now. And all you got to do is look up and see Jesus saying, follow me. Come here. I know what, you know what you were meant to do. Now let's go do it together. 
No matter who you are, no matter where you go, God will meet you there. And he's not going to say, hey, nice to see you. Finally, where you been? Man, I, I can't believe. Look, look, at all this. look at your life, man. This is terrible. Can you believe you did that? Jesus doesn't do that. He'll tell you about it, but he'll say, hey, look at this. This is what we get to come from. This is what we get to go do now. This is not what we get to be ashamed of. This is what we get to use for my glory. Let Jesus use you. Let him take you where, you, where he wants you to go. Know that he'll meet you there, but he won't let you stay there. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. When Jesus tells you to do something, it's never just like, oh, I can do that, no problem, Jesus. It usually rocks the boat. It changes your life, but it's always, always good. Amen? And would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that, that in our lives... No matter where we are, God, you can meet us where we are. You meet people in the middle of their sin. You came down from heaven to walk with us through our sin to wipe it out. God, I pray that we feel redeemed by you. We, we know that, that our lives are broken without you. They're incomplete without you. But no matter where we are, God, you have the ability to take us where you want us to go. So I pray that our hearts are open. I pray that we focus on you, that we dwell on you, God. And no matter where we are in life, we identify where you want us to go. We take your hand and we walk with you as you take us from here to there. So God, we thank you again and we give you all the praise and glory. We love you and everybody said, amen.